When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com or Blue Sky at Braden Gall. Don't follow me there, but go to at PodBlessNash on X. As well as PodBlessNashville on Instagram as well. Joining us in studio to give everybody uh, a master's degree, a PhD in Metro budgeting. I'm going to say former council member, Charlie Tiger joining us here on the show. Jamie, I don't know if you know this, Charlie, hates that moniker, refuses to to go by that. How would you like me to introduce you? You've served uh, longer than almost anybody else on the Metro Council. Former's fine with me. Jamie, probably disposed council member is more appropriate. So, <laughs> Also deposed? No? Uh, so, Charlie, give everybody... Quickly, you served uh, District 35, of course, out in west, the west part of the, the city. In Bellevue, yes. In Bellevue from 89 to 95, and then 02 to 07. Uh, you then an at-large council member from 2007 to 2015. Give everybody sort of a quick cliff notes of how you got into this, what were those years like, and, and, and all the different roles that you, you had in that situation. Well, if there was anybody in Nashville, I'm a Nashville native, born and raised here in uh, 1951, married my wife the day after I graduated from Vanderbilt, a week before she graduated from Rhodes College in Memphis. Uh, she was a Nashville native also. We uh, moved in our first house in Bellevue in 73, shortly after our marriage, and have been there ever since. So my introduction into politics basically was for two reasons. Number one, my predecessor, uh, former council member and former juvenile court clerk, Vic Lineweaver had just been appointed off the Metro Council as Metro's first juvenile court clerk. So midterm during the Boner administration, to give you some perspective, this was 87 to 91, uh, midway through the Boner uh, term, if you want to call it that, uh, we had a vacancy. Boner had recruited a long-term, long-time uh, buddy and friend. He and I were in the same civic organization, and Although he was a great guy, nice guy, he was going to be a yes man for the mayor. And so there were some issues coming up in Bellevue, especially as it related to zoning and, and the growth of our community. So I said, you know, if I don't run, uh, he's going to win. So I ran. Uh, there were four of us in that race. I missed by 35 votes out of about 15,000 votes cast, winning outright. So we went in a runoff, and it was a, a brutally contested I had some guys come forward that had run campaigns before and advised me, that's a good idea, that's a terrible idea. But my background uh, qualifying me was basically a girls softball coach in the community and a president of the co-president of the Harpeth Valley Elementary School PTA. So that was my political qualifications. Would be nice if those were the qualifications today, actually. Well, there, there's a few folks that are still, you know, run for based on their involvement in the community. and That's true. And then they learn. But, you know, it takes a couple of years. I think Councilman Holland will recognize it takes a couple of years to learn who the players of the game are, where the bathrooms are, uh, before you can bef really become an effective council member and, and hope to get anything done. So I was up there at my first meeting uh, in the mayor's office to, for introductions, I knew Bill Boner simply as a referee from uh, you know basketball days, and um, 
He said, why'd you, why'd you run? And I said, well, I just thought our community needed good representation, and I thought I would serve. And he says, you're not trying to accomplish anything? I said, I don't know what I can accomplish other than <laughs> make sure the community grows well. So later on in the term, I'll give you sort of a, a, a hint of, of how politics works. There was an issue that the mayor was soliciting votes on, and I don't even remember what the issue was at the time. But I remember coming in his office, and he said, Charlie, I need your vote on this uh, issue. And I said, well, I've got some questions about it. He said, well, let's just cut to the chase. What do you want in return? And I paused because I didn't know what he was talking about. What do you want in return? (laughs) He says, well, you have a sidewalk you need poured from point A to point B. Um, Maybe you have a relative that wants an appointment on the fire department. And I (laughs) And back then, you had to know somebody to qualify to be on the fire department, apparently. And I said, well, Mayor, I, I, that's not the way I'm used to operating. I'm going to vote on the merits of the bill. So I learned very quickly from various uh, mayors, you know, what rung their bell and what didn't. So that, that was my introduction to politics. So there was never anybody more naive than me. I sat down on the back row, the last seat, District 35. There was Carney Patterson, Tandy Wilson, and Charlie Fentress back there from Districts 32, 33, 34 that had 45 years' experience. So I said uh, to Mr. Fentress, what, what is your advice to me? And he said, sit down, shut up, and learn. And that's basically what I did for six months. Yeah. Uh, and it, do, it just doesn't happen that way that you have that with term limits now. You don't have that yeah. experience on the Metro Council. And now we have an entire group of awards given to <laughs> all people of all manner across our city 40 years later. Well, I doubt you remember this, but my first day sitting in there, we had the three-ring binder that was the budget book. I don't think they do that anymore. Waste paper. But I used to sit there and read the budget during the meetings, and I would – ask you questions because you sat in front of me and you turn around and you said what are you doing i said i'm reading the budget he said that's the only way to figure out what's going on keep reading he said you're the first person to ever ask me a question about what they read in that book well it was so lengthy and so time consuming it it sort of gave you a hint now you've got to realize the metro council role in the budget process is not to formulate the budget process or to come up with the budget, but is to be the checks and balance to the budget. So the mayor, through his department heads, his or her department heads, goes through this elaborate, and you get this 200-page report of, you know, we're 2.1% higher in the fire department for this and that. We're requesting 1.2% higher in this department because of this issue. And uh, you really have to take an interest in that and you have to be a numbers kind of guy to understand it because they make it so difficult and that's that's just a reflection of the power that the mayor of Nashville has you know I I relate it to the 40 member council if you put 39 of your best friends in a room and you tried to decide where to go have lunch (laughs) you'd have votes for Mexican and Italian and and American and pizza and everything and, and it'd be turmoil trying to figure out where 40 of us are going to go eat lunch. And that's sort of the way the Metro Council functions many times. A lot depends on the strong leadership of a vice mayor and good committee chairs to lead that department with uh, strength and, and direction. Uh, and that, that, to me, determines whether you've got a good council and an effective council. 
So we're going to work through all of the different elements of how a metro budget comes to pass. Of course, the timeline of it all, which is actually right around December is when it starts to be formulated, where the revenues come from, what the actual budget is. I know you've got a lot of different years on this. So we'll get your perspective on how the budget has changed over the years. Uh, Of course, what's involved in all of those different pieces. But you kind of already have led us right into the start of the conversation, which is who are the main players in all of this? And certainly the mayor's office, you've already mentioned sort of the council, but kind of give us a list of who are the, the, the main characters in the budget story before we get into the process and what's actually in it? Okay, so you have the Metro Finance Department. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, your budget director. That's your, your accounting guy. And then you have the department heads. So each of those department heads are going to come and make their case as to why they need more money to operate more efficiently or to en- enact new programs or provide new services for the citizens. And then it's up to the mayor and the, the finance director and that staff to to formulate, well, I can afford to do this, I can't afford to do that, I can give a little bit here, a little bit there, we'll do some of it this year, some of it next year. And then the issue becomes, is this something that is a recurring expense or is it a one-time expense? And you get into the capital uh, improvements budget as to, I need a road paved, uh, we need to buy our new fire trucks this year. Just recently in the paper, we've read about the, the police begging for new updated uh, tasers. And, you know, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea and whether the city can afford it. So that's really the players in the game, you know, and they're all based out of direct appointments or reporting directly to the mayor's office. Can you tell us the difference between the operating budget and the capital improvements budget? Sure. Great question. The operating budget is the day-to-day expenses. That's your salaries. That's the gas to put in vehicles. That's the paper in the offices and and whatnot. A capital budget, though, is a one-time improvement. It's a sidewalk. It's a bridge. It's a greenway. It's it's an uh, improvement to the community. Uh, It's a vehicle type thing as opposed to the gas and oil for that vehicle. So the capital budget is really where a lot of council members focus on, as you know, because that's the way you get improvements in your in your district. Uh, it's that sidewalk you want poured from point A to point B. It's that greenway you want built. It's that building that you need. It's that school enhancement program. That's a whole nother discussion about how Metro, in comparison to other cities, uh, you know, funds their capital improvement budget. So what is a capital spending plan? A capital spending plan is sort of the wish list that you've got page after page divided by district of those wishes that that I I would like to see in my district. So, you know, your first role as a council member in the capital spending plan is to is to get it into the capital improvements budget. You know, I can't get my sidewalk built unless it's uh, identifiable and we know what the expense is. And then the next issue is how do I convince enough people or the administration that it's a project worthy of funding that year? So you've got the capital budget and you've got the spending plan, which actually funds what we can afford that year. The metro budget this past year for the fiscal year 24, of course, which will run through uh, the end of June, $3.22 billion this year. That's up 6% from the year before. We talk a lot about education on the show. 37% of that, the biggest chunk, goes to education. 20% of that goes to public safety and justice. 13% of that is to general government. Another 13% to debt service. And then it goes on down from there, infrastructure, transportation, health services, recreation, etc. Can you give us a sense as to what the budget size was in 1989, your first year on the, on the council, 
and then how it's grown and if the process has changed. How, how much has the actual process itself changed? The budget uh, in 1989-90 year was $741 million, not billion, $741 million. Uh, so you can see over the last 33 years, we've basically grown four times, uh, a little over four times. So that's due to more property tax growth that reflects the building and development of properties. It's more tourism and residents spending at the grocery store. It's sales tax money that gets, that's the metro portion of that. It's the other fees that you pay, whether it be stormwater on your property that you own, or whether it's a landlord fee if you own a rental property, or whether it's Airbnb fees that come in. Uh, so it's a whole variety of different sources, some of which is committed to different areas, but most of it just goes in the general what's called the general fund, the pot of money that funds all these departments as you just described. Has, has the process actually changed much at all in terms of how this we go about establishing these numbers? I don't think so. From what I can tell, it, it never changed during my, you know, 20 plus years on the council. It was, you know, at, at this time, the state would give you an estimate of what your sales tax is going to be and and your property assessor would, would come through with the property uh, that's been added to the rolls and, and you come up with a, a reasonable number. And it's, it's, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, you, know, you, you allow for inflation with, you know, gas prices going up or building supplies, depending on your department. But, you know, if you're in the police or fire and uh, we're underserved and we're, you know, lacking police officers, you've got to budget extra dollars for salaries and benefits. Uh, so that's where the, then the, the next step in that argument comes uh, of each department head trying to convince the administration and the finance director uh, my pot of money is more important than the other department's pot of money. So when you talk about salaries and benefits, we're, we're calling that a full-time equivalent. That's the government lingo right? that's reflected in the budget. But the mayor has a deadline to submit his or her budget, right? When it, Do you know when that is? I don't remember when it is. Uh, it allows time for a couple, three months for the council then to peruse the budget, hold their own budget hearings, with those department heads, allows council members to ask those department heads the pertinent questions of why you're asking for this or what's the reason for that. And then you get into the battle then of, of shifting money around. Uh, you know, I, I need money for my district to do this, and that's more important than your district. Can I get the votes to get it done? And the council, you know, will make minor adjustments. There's, you know, the council is not going to allocate 200 more positions to the police department or or 500 more positions to the school board uh they just don't do that they don't have the the power and the knowledge and how to do that because that anytime you make that change it's got to change it affects another department so we call that tinkering around the edges yeah. and, and smart mayors uh you know mayor bredesen was was very astute budget wise they they would Deliberate, I wouldn't say, yes, I would say deliberately put in money that the council director would would identify immediately as the tinkering pot, as your description is. <laughs> and so it made the council feel good that, you know, this two or three million dollars out of the billions of dollars budget, we're going to shift it from parks to uh, public works and pave roads instead of uh, greenways, whatever. Because the sorry, Braden, but I want to finish this out. But back ten or fifteen years ago, the old heads in the council, I would say they were like, "We're going to pass our budget. We're going to have the council's going to have a substitute budget. We're going to pass that because the mayor's budget 
is never passed as presented because on June 30, if the council has not passed a substitute budget, the mayor's budget becomes the budget by operation of law. That's correct. And so when they do this tinkering, what's kind of the, the percentage amount of tinkering you've seen recently? Uh, once again, you know, we're talking about three, four, five million, which to you and me sounds like a lot, but now in a, in a $3.22 billion budget, you're talking literally, you know, pennies in the offering plate as opposed to hundred dollar bills. Uh, it makes you feel good. I've done my share. I can go back to my district and say, hey, uh, we promised we'd have more uh, EMTs on the street, and the council allocated three more than what the mayor proposed, so we won. Uh, and that, that's the thats the feeling that you get. Does this, is this, I'm, I'm with you on it. Does, does May 1st sound right? It says, according to Nashville.gov, of course, it says, by May 1, the mayor and or fi- finance director present the recommended budget to the Metro Council. So, does May 1st sound like the, the right that, deadline? Yeah, that gives 60 days in for the council to do their due diligence on the budget hearings and whatnot. So most of the first, it sounds like from December around this time of the year through that May 1st deadline, that's all kind of out of the public eye, right? There is no way for constituents, for regular voters to sort of get involved in that process because it's department heads and it's agency officials and it's presentations and it's meetings. It's it's all the stuff that happens behind the scenes, correct? That's correct for the most part, but now there's something called participatory participatory budgeting, which is where they take that a given pot of money and open it up for competition between the 35 districts. Does Each, Nashville know that this is happening? Well, supposedly <laughs> they spent $600,000 to advertise it, but I would tell you go ask the person on the street down here at Fatherland Street and uh, have you participated in participatory <laughs> budget? And they would look at you, what the hell are you talking about? I, I think you're right on that. <laughs> but, you know, the, some of that's on the citizens. I mean, you've yeah, got to no, keep absolutely. up. Now, there, there are council members I, I'm, I'm plugged in because Bellevue, actually, if you look at the intersection of Highway 70 South and Old Hickory Boulevard, most known for you residents of the, of the Fatherland 6th District area as Red Spirits and Wines Corner, no free shouts. No, uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> but that corner there represents the line of demarcation from four council districts. So basically there are four council members that uh, own a portion of Bellevue or represent a portion of Bellevue. You know, I'm, I'm on most of them's emails or their blogs or constant contact or whatever they're sending information out. And, and some of them do a really good job of, uh, you know, talking about, the Christmas parade in their district, and then other districts you hear very little about anything. Uh, but that's on the council member, and that's on the, the quality of person that each district is electing. You told me once upon a time that you can vote for a property tax increase and it won't affect your electability. But you, one thing you cannot do that will affect your electability, you remember what that was? Not offhand. You better respond to those phone calls and oh, emails. Man. It's crazy the the type of people you deal with, and it's I suspect it's getting worse now. That reflects the state of our country and the division that we have. That that even those of us with different ideas can't get along. We you know start pointing fingers and yelling. But I, I can give you specific names of people that that literally refuse to respond to the what they saw as unnecessary crank phone calls, and none of those people were ever reelected. You know, Charlie Fentress that I sat next to who recently passed away, uh, he, he served a long time in the council, and, and he was sort of my mentor in many ways. 
said individual votes for you know, voting for Bridgestone Arena or, or not voting for this project is not going to beat you. It's what you do in the other times. Yeah. Constituent services. Constituent services. Which would include picking up the trash and keeping the roads paved. Would you have to do less of that if there were only 20 districts? Well, I, I think if there were only 20 districts, which I very much favor, once again, going back to that argument about going to dinner uh, with 39 of your friends, doesn't mean the quality of service. It means that the salaries and benefits for those 40 council members are halved. Now that gives me room budgetarily to have staff to help me monitor those calls. Now, you guys that are very tech savvy and, you know, with your artificial intelligence and everything you're in, you're employing around here, uh, you know, all this magical things appear. Those of us that are used to picking up a phone and calling somebody rather than texting somebody, uh, it's more difficult to reach that level of support. But to me, it, it all, once again, boils down to the quality of the individual and, and how committed they are to the job. You started out pre-Nashville Network. What change in the body have you seen since the advent of the Metro Nashville Network? I don't know what the, what you're talking about, the Metro Nashville Network. Well, see, exactly. <laughs> They've changed the name. They used to call it Channel 3. Oh, you're talking about com- the public service uh, channel. Uh, <laughs> being on TV. Yeah, being on TV. Well, the, the Internet service that I've prescribed to now and the, the streaming services and, and whatnot uh, – I have to hit 17 buttons to get to channel. Th- what's channel three? Uh, so guess what? I don't hit 17 buttons. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm watching Doc Martin reruns now on PBS uh, type things. So uh, I think less people are involved in in that because of the of the changes you see and the the advances, which to me may not be advances. I want to go back to sort of the quality and, and of the work and the quality of the candidate and the quality of the constituents, because it all affects, it all works together. But it does sound like once you get to that, that May or that June 1st deadline, uh, excuse me, what did I say? May 1st, May 1st deadline where the mayor's put forth his budget. Is that the time where the regular old Nashvilleian voter has the opportunity to interact and voice their concerns? Or should they be involved earlier than that with the council member and saying, look, and again, we can go down the list of all the different things that are in the budget and, and people have different priorities in different areas of town. But should we be, again, from now, December, when this process is starting behind closed doors, should people in their districts who care about X be working on getting that X in front of their council members so they're prepared when that budget is presented? Or is that public time the time to do that? No, you have to build up your reputation. I, I once had a gentleman call me on a Sunday morning at 6 a.m. saying that his Sunday Tennessean that normally gets delivered at 5 a.m. when he gets up wasn't there. Now, you know, council members get all kinds of calls, as you mentioned, about, you know, stop signs and speed bumps and garbage pickup. But that was the most unusual call. And, and, you know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I can remember (laughs) vividly the gentleman who called about, not getting his Tennessean, to which I politely said, well, have you called the subscription department of the Tennessean to, you know, get them to send the replacement? Well, they're not open yet. And I said, well, <laughs> the other option, go down to Kroger, buy that $2, $1.50 Sunday paper, and take it off your bill and see what the Tennessean does. Gas I mean, station somewhere? Just somewhere <laughs> and, and do it. But, uh, you know, that was too much trouble. So I said, well, that's all I can do. The count, I, I don't control the Tennessean's delivery service, and I'm sorry, 
you know, they may have had a printing problem, press problem or whatever. So, but I did make sure a month later <laughs> that I called at five o'clock one Sunday morning to make sure that his paper was there, hoping that I was going to wake him up as he had woken me that morning. So that, that was the most vindictive thing that I can ever remember. Uh, doing. You're, you're such a jerk. Uh, J- Jamie, <laughs> can you imagine a council member on the current body getting a call at six five forty five on a Sunday morning saying, my TikTok's not working. <laughs> well, they wouldn't even answer it, I guess. You would not have a landline. I mean, my favorite was w- about 1 o'clock in the morning. I got a call, and they said, place on Wilburn Street. They said, your district's on fire. And I said, where? They said, Wilburn Street. I said, well, I hope you call the damn fire department first, and my water hose won't reset far from McFerrin. <laughs> it, it's amazing. uh you know, rather than navigate the bureaucracy and the complexity of that bureaucracy, you know, uh, the feelings that people have, if I just know my council member, but Braden, to, to answer your question, you've got to be involved in the process early. You're going to have credibility with someone if you've been there. I I just spoke to a retired school teacher or li- librarian yesterday. We've, we're good friends. She's done um one of those over and above the normal job description of the librarian in terms of creating a school garden and teaching elementary age kids about pollinators and and cover crops and and the importance of fresh vegetables versus you know this and that and um, all those programs once she retired were discontinued they weren't important enough mm-hmm. but uh, but she was always involved in the process and, and and lobbying for sustainability and new programs in in the school system uh, and most of the time it didn't you know they, they felt frustrated they couldn't do it but the answer is not you know some incident occurs and I'm going to go down to the state capitol and scream and yell at, at legislators I mean that doesn't to me show any respect or get anything done uh, spend that time calling that state legislature or that metro council member saying, can we meet and talk about this issue? Build up the credibility so that when Ms. Jones calls you, you know what she's calling about and you can talk intelligently about it and, and convince her that you've done everything you can in your power to make the process move forward. Somebody once said something about a squeaky wheel, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Something like that. But it, there's a difference in being a, a squeaky wheel and being down – you know, uh, causing a disruption and being a squeaky, you know, I felt like I was a squeaky heel a lot of times during budget hearings and, and made department uh, heads mad. I, I, you know, Scott Potter should be a great friend of mine. We're both Vandy fans. Um, for the most part, I, you know, uh, didn't have many issues with water and sewer problems. Of course, most of Bellevue is covered by Harpeth Valley Utilities, which may be the answer to that. But uh, during one budget hearing, I held up, uh, you know, uh, a statement from the uh, stormwater division of Metro Sewer. And my bill was $18 at my house for stormwater per quarter, $72 a year. I preferred to write one check. No, Jamie, I didn't do Venmo or anything else. I did a check. And I sent my $72. Well, guess what? Next quarter, I got a bill with a credit for $54. And the next quarter, three months later, I got a bill with a credit for $36. And the next quarter, I got a bill with a credit of 18 And so I said, why would you waste the money to send out statements on credit balances? 
And the answer was, well, people like to keep track of where they are. And I said, well, if, if somebody sends you a pattern of $72 and whatnot, it should be obvious what they're doing. That person is competent enough to keep track of their own money. You don't need to send it. Uh, Kevin Crumbo was quoted as saying that uh, anytime Metro sends out a paper check and it's one of these perforated, you got to, you know, tear it on three sides to open it up, it costs $3.50. So I said, you know, out of the profit to the water department, we've wasted all of this money on postage and handling and paper and whatnot. And it made him mad. And I was just trying to be efficient. Yeah, trying to make it better. And make more, it better. Make the process better. And I can give you multiple examples of that type of thing. It, and people took it wrong because it was like I was questioning their ability to run their department. If you had a magic wand, what's the, what's the one thing would you change about the budget today? There's two things I would change. Back in the start of the Dean administration, this was in 2008, first year, second year of the Dean administration, Metro was facing, this was the recession in, in financial in, crisis, financial crisis. This is when real estate and everything was going to pot. The mayor's office decided that to, to not increase taxes on people that were suffering, but instead we were going to defer payments on our bonds. And so we paid interest only for five, six, seven years there. And surprisingly, with the balloon, right? The balloon came due in the Megan Berry administration. So we punted the ball down the court rather than cut services or, or, or lay off people or whatever the alternatives were, uh, we punted it. And I would ask you as an as a individual, if you did that to your credit card and you paid the minimum payment only, what the difference is interest-wise over the years. And I remember the finance director at that point saying, well, it's our hope that the economy will improve and we'll be able to to uh, uh, increase that short or decrease that shortfall through the increased revenues. And I said, well, that's sort of an iffy situation, and you know we're just punting the ball down and, and and throwing it on a different council and a new administration, and that's exactly what happened. The other thing I would change about our budget process, and Braden, you've hit upon this, what percentage of the metro budget goes to debt service. And so, yes, I understand that to build those bridges and, and to build the new Lawson High School cost $150 million, and, and to pay cash for that is an unreasonable uh, idea. But I would ask you the question, is it really unreasonable? As a homeowner, what would you rather do, save up and pay cash for the project and avoid interest cost, or to go ahead and borrow the money and, and to add the debt service onto that. So during one of the League of Cities that we, that we uh, council was invited to attend over the years, uh, we went to Oklahoma City, and I heard about a program called MAPS. I, everybody, All your listeners, subscribers or whatever there are out there, people that are bored and need something to do, Google Oklahoma City MAPS, M-A-P-S project. Metropolitan Area Projects. In the late, in the early 90s, uh, Oklahoma City was sort of viewed as we view, Nashville views Memphis as sort of a, who would want to live there? You know, if you're not working for FedEx, why would you go into that turmoil and all that, all the problems? That was the way Oklahoma City was viewed in their state. 
they had a Republican mayor. They they elected their mayor partisan. Uh, so uh, their Republican mayor proposed a sales tax increase, one cent for six and a half years. It had a starting date and an ending date. And all the additional revenue and sales tax for that one cent increase was put in a pot, an investment pot. And they identified the projects they wanted to do. Now, I'm going to take you back to 1990, 91. See if any of these projects resonate with you uh, and what you know about Nashville. Did If I said Oklahoma City wanted to build a new downtown baseball stadium, minor league baseball stadium, Nashville or Oklahoma City wanted to build a new downtown convention center, Oklahoma City wanted to build a new library on Church Street, Oklahoma City wanted to make some infrastructure stormwater improvements to their irrigation, not irrigation system, drainage system. Uh, they wanted to improve their bus service. So they identified six or seven projects. This was called MAPS-1, Metropolitan Area Projects 1. They put the money in a pot of money in an investment fund, and six and a half years later, they cashed out. The sales tax went away. It had to be voted on, by the way, by the citizens of Oklahoma City, which were primarily a conservative, fiscal conservative city, narrowly passed. But guess what? They During that six years, they planned those projects. They drew up the plans for that new library, that new convention center, and they paid cash for those projects. There was no debt service that doubled the price of those projects. Sounds like how I would teach my seven-year-old. It's ex- fiscal. It's, money. <laughs> it's fiscal literacy for seven-year-olds. Yeah. 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 So the the downside is you don't get to build it immediately. Now I would say, let's say the East Bank right now and the the millions of dollars we're going to spend in infrastructure. I think it's a good thing, but would I rather pay cash for it? So why are we not saving money for it now and paying cash for it and avoid that ex- doubling the price in interest? Let's spend the time planning it. So the citizens, it was so successful, three years later, the citizen says, what's our next round? And so they concentrated. We need better schools. We need a gym in this school. We need an updated cafeteria in this school. Uh, They need better parks. They wanted greenway systems. They wanted new playgrounds. So they put together a list of projects. And so here they said, you know, it's going to take three and a half years. If you vote for a one-cent sales tax hike, for these three and a half years, these are the list of 50 projects we're going to get done. And they did it. They're now on MAPS 4, and they're avoiding that debt service. Now, I can't remember what the exact number is, Braden, but for every every percent that our budget reflects, you know, 11% debt service, which was in our day, now it's 14%. But it's amazing that that 3% increase in debt service, which is wasted money, it's interest payments, now accounts for millions of dollars. Yeah. Of the three, you know, three percent of three point three point two billion dollars is a significant amount of money. So, that's my second regret is is I presented this to the council and I tried to explain it, but maybe I should have gone out to neighborhood groups. Maybe I should have gone to bankers. Maybe I should have gone to the lobbyists. Maybe I should have gone to all these powerful people that we have in different groups in Nashville and say, "There's a better way to finance our future." 
that's a regret of mine. Uh, Jamie, you'll care about this, of course, off the heels of that conversation. Uh, Oklahoma City, I believe, recently just approved a 1% sales tax to pay for their brand new arena to keep the Oklahoma City Thunder, the NBA basketball team there, uh, for like the next 35 years. Uh, you, you, can, so. you can see all of that, and the citizens are forcing a tax upon themselves because they spent the time to sell it, and the administration and the leaders of that community and the council sold it their constituents as a good investment that it long-term saves us money. Yeah. Um, I, I gotta, this, this may not be your, um, your lane here, but I'm curious because I, I, I know that mayor Cooper announced, um, in over the summer that, that we sort of increased our, our bond rating, right? The, the counties, Davidson County's general obligation debt. We, we increased for the first time, I think since the early eighties. Um, what do you, can you describe to people what that means to you? In terms of what, like, uh, that it's touted as, hey, we're more financially stable and and well, it meant it, it meant we're in better position to pay our debts. Okay, so people are more likely to want to buy our bonds, and therefore we get a better rate, which is a good thing. But that means that all this growth that we're experiencing, instead of going into infrastructure or paying for transit, is now being allocated to pay off our debt. So we, we're in a better position debt-wise because we're more safe and secure that, you know, we're not going to default on debt. We have a reserve account that's built up uh, beyond the, the you know, you, you talk about teaching your seven-year-old uh, financial lessons. You know, you talk about emergency funds. You know, what happens if your bicycle breaks and daddy doesn't replace it because you didn't bring it in out of the rain? Now you got to go to your reserve fund to buy you a new bicycle or repair it. Uh, that's the same thing. We we built our reserve account up where we're better able to withstand downturns in the economy, but that just means that money is, is not available for other viable projects. Is there a property tax on the horizon soon? How soon, if so? Well, I, historically in administrations, it's the second year because it gets to that uh, memory factor. The first year you put together, you're basically inheriting a budget from the previous administration. You'll make your few tweaks. You're going to do it in the second year because uh, after people get tired of bitching and complaining about the additional property tax they pay, they're more likely to forget about it two years later if other good things happen. You know, the Titans win the Super Bowl or the Predators are in the Stanley Cup or, or you know, I've got better bus service to my house or my kids getting, you know, got great teachers that he or she loves. Uh, they're more likely to forget that property tax increase. And the same is true on the council. So if it's going to happen, it'll be in the second year of, uh, of the administration. And, and that is 51.4% of the current budget is property taxes. 22.7% is local option tax. 15% is grants and contributions. Uh, what is a local option tax and are, grants and contributions? Explain those real quickly. Well, grants and contributions is state and federally funded programs. So that that's money for transit or road repairs. It's interstate systems. So that's that's money we'd be we're going to get every year from the from those sources. The local option tax out of that nine and a quarter percent that we're paying here, you know, six percent of that is state tax, and the other three and a quarter percent is is locally imposed. Williamson County has a nine point seven five percent sales tax. You know, they're they're so Williamson meet, County is more heavily regulated, is what I'm hearing. More tax, more heavily taxed. <laughs> they they their their elected officials have voted to tax them an additional you know, half a percent that we don't have. I'm just, uh, I'm just giving Wilco a hard time. I like, <laughs> I like to give him a hard well, time. Well, our, our, to the point about education, capital expenses, the school board under the charter 
is authorized to vote in a property tax increase for the purposes of schools. I don't think it's ever been done before, but never been done because I don't. I don't think the public would accept the fact the school board coming forward with that. Uh, so that's an unrealistic. It sounds good in, in principle, but it's not going to happen. The the uh, the mayor's office and 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 I personally on this show have uh, am very very much in favor of if the timeline works and if they can I don't know for lack of a better phrase get it get it all together to get a, tra- a dedicated transit referendum on the ballot for a presidential election in 2024 give it a better a chance to to pass they've got a lot of planning and a lot of messaging to do between now and then if that's going to happen but the options to to kind of pay for some of that stuff are are. Some of them are very self-explanatory. A sales tax increase, the hotel motel tax, which of course they've increased for the Titan Stadium and the in, the East Bank development, and an impact fee. What is an impact fee? An impact fee is a fee paid on new development to cover the cost of the services needed for that new development. It's long been argued, and many cities have impact fees for development. If you build a residential house, uh, You've, you're going to educate X percent of students that are, you know, school-age kids. You've got X, addition, X percent addition to the traffic base. You've got X percent addition to the ambulance services that are needed. So they, they impose a fee up front. Uh, my homeowner association calls it a transfer fee or a working capital fee, but it's done as a way to offset and provide new sources of revenue. Uh, Metro has never been able to convince enough uh, elected officials to vote for that because of the opposition from the development community that, you know, see that as an, I'm already bringing in the value to you with the increased property taxes. Now you're going right. to put another fee. I'm going to price my, my homes out of the market. Can, can I, let me try to lay this out in like super layman's terms and, and you can kind of push back where you think it's incorrect. Uh, sales tax in general going to affect everybody. And particularly people that where that's that fraction of a percentage of a point is going to impact them the most. So let's say lower income families, probably more. But sales tax in- increase hurts everybody, quote unquote, hurts everybody. Uh, hotel motel tax, of course, pretty self-explanatory. It's the um, hospitality business in terms of all the folks renting rooms and running hotels. An impact fee is the, the, the big business, for lack of a better term, developers business. Is that a fair way to assess those three different taxes and yeah. who they impact? Yeah, absolutely. You, you hit the nail on the head that if you make 50000 versus 100000 you're going to still buy the same amount of food for the most part. Maybe you'll eat out a little bit more, but, you know, food at your table. So you're paying sales tax on 50000 which is going to be a higher percent than a sales tax on 100000 So that, that's realistic. Uh, All right. And one, one more thing about the hotel motel taxes that a lot of people don't understand because that – that's six percent by state statute. Do you know where that six percent in collections are going? I don't know what direction you're heading there. So funding the debt service on the convention center, D- debt service, which you know, the, I, I can't ever tell which direction he's going either. The, so. the 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 safety net on the convention center was one of those things that uh, you know help convince the public and the Metro Council that the burden wouldn't fall on taxpayers. What they didn't do is say, you know, as you build up a reserve account of money, uh, we can go ahead and pay off our bonds early. So instead, you know, administrations have now tapped into that money to pay for 
security downtown and traffic control downtown, which is, you know, part of the downtown where it's con- collected for the most part. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it doesn't go into the pot of money to pay for schools out in the suburbs type thing. So, um, to me, that's one fault of, of the, it was good to do that, uh, safety net, but now that, uh, the convention center is successful, it's, it's profitable, it's rolling in cash for lack of a better term, but you, you're limited as to what you can use that money for to solve problems. Charlie, uh, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, we do appreciate you coming in. And I was going to ask you, like, hey, what's the one thing you would, you know, of all these different percentages inside the budget, what's the thing that's wrong or right? And you've already gone down the debt service rabbit hole, so I don't think we need to finish that way. So yeah. um, much appreciate you coming in and, and giving us a little uh, lesson on how this all works. And uh, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Appreciate it. Everybody out there, rate, review, and subscribe, of course, and follow Jamie, former council member, Deposed former council member Jamie Holland at J.R. Holland on Twitter.com. You should also say the guy that won the Supreme Court case over the charter when it elects the mayor. That is far better than former council member Dipshittery. (laughs) (laughs) Happy holidays, everybody.